welcome to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines, changing the conversation around divorce. This show is sponsored by Penguin in the Room. Penguin in the Room is an award-winning arts, marketing and social media management company. If you want to jazz up your socials and have someone Instagram and tweet for you, then here's your answer. Go to www.penguinintheroom.com. As always, hit subscribe to make sure you're updated about new episodes. And we love to hear from you on social media at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. You can also email us all the infos on our website, thedivorcesocial.com. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This episode, I'm joined by Coach Ali Hendry. They were married to a man and then a woman, and then she moved on to non-monogamy. So we talk about all of that. She's also done a TEDx talk, Survivor's Guide to Jealousy, if you want to check that out. But enjoy. I am joined by Ali Hendry, PPC Certified Holistic Relationship Coach, TEDx Speaker and Diva Magazine Columnist. Welcome to The Divorce Social. Thank you for inviting me. Lovely to be here in your inner sanctum. It's lovely to have you. My inner sanctum, I like that. It sounds a little bit sexual. I don't know why, um, but you're, you're a holistic relationship coach. So it also sounds a little bit, you know woo-woo as we call it and I'm a little bit woo-woo so I love that yeah I I love the woo-woo and I love that what I do is holistic so we can go as woo-woo as you woo-woo want to or we can stay <laughs> in cognitive side we can do quite quite often people want to stay in the kind of the cognitive uh bra- brain mindset stuff or we can move into the somatic side so we are all three body mind and spirituality and I love being able to bring that into the coaching arena as well as my life I like it. Well, we're going to delve into all of this. But first of all, how do you feel about being on the divorce social? I feel really excited. I think it's been a topic that has punctuated my life from 16. So at the age of 16, my parents divorced. They were the only ones in the village. This was the 1980s. And so it was completely unexpected. All I knew about divorce was that people yell at each other and they can't be in the same room together. And that certainly was not the case with my parents. They kind of gently drifted apart and then sat us down one day and said uh, that we are separating. So it was a massive, massive shock did not see that one coming at all. And then when I went to university, I studied psychology, did a psychology degree. And I did a, my dissertation was on the effects of divorce on children. So that was another area that I was really interested in. And basically, the results of my dissertation were be nice to each other after you divorce and you won't fuck them up. <laughs> That's the right. summary, um, which is good to know, because since then I've collected two divorces of my own and uh, have got a, a daughter, a teenager. So, yeah, it's it's been a, it's been a, a divorce journey. And of course, in the UK, the law has just changed last year on the no fault divorce. So I've been following that um avidly because I think that's real progress in terms of taking away this 
failure and this, you know, you've done something wrong side of things. Because as we know, 50% of divorces, first marriages end in divorce and 75% of second marriages end in divorce. So it's a big statistic. And yet people are still doing it, aren't they? Getting married pays. It's it's funny on that statistic because a lot of people that I meet in my everyday life always say to me when they're on their second marriage, the second marriage is the best one. This is the, this is, you know, the proper, that one was the practice, but the statistics don't say the same. So it's, it's an interesting one. Fascinating that divorce has sort of been with you since 16. My parents separated as well, but I think I had more of the shouty option uh, rather than the drifting apart. And as a teenager or as a 16 year old, when your parents got divorced before you you know, did a dissertation on it. What did you think and feel about divorce at that time? Because you said it was a shock. Was it a, a bad thing? I was most worried about us having to move and me not having the biggest bedroom out of the three kids. That's it. That was that was how I rolled. <laughs> um and so yeah, that was that was the biggest fear actually. My dad moved out as usually happens, I think, um, certainly in those days. And we had had to, it's interesting I say had to, we had to see him once a week. What I realised was that my relationship with my dad changed. I didn't um, see that one coming because he was very much in the background and not part of the dynamic. Mum was the one who organised everything and got us in, in the right place at the right time, although he was, he was the eternal taxi. Um, and so my relationship with dad suddenly became a human being rather than someone who's just an add-on. <laughs> bless him um so so that changed at the time though i in all we had was eastenders had just started i know it's been going for years right i'm 54 now so and i can remember the first eastenders so that that was my first introduction uh brookside to to divorce was through watching the soaps because i'd never come across that in uh, a west sussex village environment that just wasn't something that um, happened. So disappointment that I might have to move and move out of my lovely bedroom. I think EastEnders is possibly my first introduction to divorce too. I was born in the late 80s. And yeah, that's it, it, it was that and my friend's parents getting divorced and them being sad. But um, I can totally relate to what you said about your, the relationship with your dad, because I think... I'd always had quite a good relationship with my dad when my parents were together. But suddenly when you're forced to see your parents on their own rather than in the family unit, it's like, oh, we actually have to talk to each other and have a conversation. And you're not just chatting around the kitchen while, you know, you're having dinner or washing up. It's like you have to meet up with them at a cafe and look at each other and talk to each other. And yeah, I remember that being a sort of strange new experience, but a, but a really nice one. I think I got to know my parents better as individuals. Yeah, it's intentional time rather than incidental time. And because it's intentional time, it has meaning. And because it has meaning, it has a deeper level of collect connection. So you can see where that path goes. Yeah, and I think I've carried that forward into my relationships as well of we need face-to-face -face sitting down time, not just having a chat while we wash up. Um, but fast forward to your first divorce. Where were you in your life in the world? I was uh, physically, I was living in London. Um, I got married at 25 to a man and divorced at 28 uh, when I came out. So I had a four month affair with a woman and realised that I was gay, um, which didn't work in the dynamic and the setup that I had with my husband. Um, it was a very difficult time. We there was love, there was compassion, there was future planning, there was identity. It was all tied up together, uh, as you would imagine. And so to get to a point of realising my sexuality was poking its little head out, it was a really, really difficult time, really emotional, really difficult time. Even now, when I think about it, it's there's there's loss around that situation. Um, we would still be together if he was a woman. <laughs> um, you know, we there, there was there was a lot of 
uh, we were together for eight years in all. So the actual marriage part lasted three years. We were together for five years. I proposed to him drunk in the toilets of an Indian restaurant, as you do. And I just got to that point where I knew I didn't want to do life without him. I wanted him in my life and I wanted him as the father of my children. We had very similar relationship values, etc. But obviously, when I came to terms with my sexual orientation, it was a massive overhaul of the relationship. Um, so, yeah, we were married for three years. And it was a hard one, actually, because like we were saying earlier, there wasn't there wasn't the no fault divorce in in those days. So you had to for a quickie, you had to choose whether it was adultery, unreasonable behavior or desertion um, or two years separation or five years separation. If if one of you doesn't agree now, we because I'd had an affair with a woman and this is still the case now, you cannot be done for adultery. So it was unreasonable behaviour, which is bollocks, which is terrible. Because there was an undermining of my sexuality. There was a a less than. Um, And also at that time, my father, I was very close to my my ex-husband's mum and dad and his family and his siblings. And my father-in-law said, you shouldn't, this should be annulled. So to have the whole relationship completely discounted was was another heartbreak. I mean, as it turned out, my ex-husband said, no, absolutely not. So we went through unreasonable behaviour. My girlfriend was mentioned in the papers. Um, and it was it was a very, very hard time. And there was a lot of grief. And we weren't able to have a friendship afterwards. And I think since then, that's that's the key. And this is what I work with a lot with my clients, forming some kind of friendship, however odd and weird and strange that might look like, with that person can be the key to a lot of healing um but you have to do an awful lot of work on both sides there has to be dual commitment and that just wasn't going to be possible with with the way that our divorce happened it's so interesting you say about adultery that it it sort of doesn't count in adverted commas in the eyes of the law if it's with someone of the same sex and you know why it's because they can't defy because sex is with a penis they can't, the law is not able to define what sex is. And actually, this is this is why I love what I do now, because when I read brilliant books like Mind the Gap by Dr. Karen Gurney and um, Come As You Are by Emily Nagotsky, and we're looking at what is sex, what is desire, what is what is passion, we get to make that shit up now. There is no script. We get to decide what is sex and what isn't sex, what is intimacy. We, we we're in such a great place in terms of forming our own sexual identities nowadays and yet we've still got this fusty old law that says well don't don't quite know what to do with that because what it doesn't fall into the the society script of what sex is something has to go into something else well yes but it doesn't necessarily need to be attached to that person in a medical way <laughs> does it count if a man has sex with a man i don't think so i don't no, have to I check th- that yeah i don't, I, I don't think so i, I think same-sex relationships don't count Um, either way I totally agree and I love that we get to write the script now on sexuality and a lot of the time people might go into a marriage not being aware of of that world and not being aware of you know what they want what they like what they need Um, and I'm bisexual myself and I've spoken about it on the podcast and I was married to a man and during our marriage I told him that I was bisexual But up until that point, because we'd got married at such a young age, you know, I hadn't had the chance to go out there and be my bisexual self on the dating scene. So that was actually one of the really exciting and scary things about getting divorced was kind of moving into into this new space. But what was it like for you? in case anyone's listening and they're they're relating to parts of your story to be in a heterosexual facing marriage but having feelings that you're gay did you feel like you were trapped or did you feel like you could talk about it with your husband at the time I could absolutely talk about it with him. He was seven years older than me, really sexually experienced, much more sexually experienced than I was. 
And there was certainly a jealousy there in terms of all the things he'd done and that I wanted to do. He was a very good lover. We had a great sex life until we didn't. <laughs> um, and then so we were able to have those conversations. He actually said to me, perhaps we can do this thing, stay married and you can have your relationship. And now fast forward, fast forward from 28 to 54, you know, for the last eight years, I've been non-monogamous. So me now would have been, yeah, brilliant, bring it on. I think possibly not because so much of who I am now, it's not just my sexual orientation. Queer is my identity as well. And I know that there are some amazingly happy people who are in um, marriages to men and women. So heterosexual marriage and also they are queer. I know that can work. And maybe that would have been my story. Back then, though, I couldn't consider it on any level because I needed to explore my sexuality. And I couldn't do that within the constraints of a, of a marriage I had to get out of that marriage and work out who I was. And what I used to hate is when people would go, oh, right, so you've left your husband for this woman. And I was like, it doesn't feel like that. That feels um, reductive. What it feels like is I am moving into a new place, a new discovery of me, and I need to work out who, who I am. And Unfortunately, what happened is a lot of the pain and the loss around losing my ex-husband and the end of the relationship was weaved into my me and my girlfriend's relationship. So that that lasted just over a year. It couldn't have lasted any longer because there was always this association with how we'd met and how we got together. So when I look at it now, I know that that was that was a, a journey to discovering my sexuality, my sexual orientation, who I was how I operate in the world, the kind of dynamics that work for me and and a sense of freedom, because certainly what I what I found back then. And of course, like we were discussing earlier, when you come out as gay, you have this whole candy store of places to explore your sexuality. You are able to do things and play with gender and play with roles and play with you know kink and sex and all sorts of other things. I felt this freedom that I'd never felt in the constraints of a monogamous relate, heterosexual relationship. So freedom came to me, which I couldn't have done in what I'd built as constraints. Nowadays, maybe the world is different. I, I think it is. I think we have different conversations. Um, but yeah, we were certainly having those sorts of conversations as much as you could in, in the 90s. So you left your husband for freedom. That's how it felt like. Yeah. Freedom, freedom of discovery. Who, who am I? What's going on? I did that thing of thinking, am I bisexual? Um, am I gay? What am I? Who am I? You know, so I spent a lot of time navel gazing and talking to people and being involved in the communities. I set up a theatre company, a women's theatre company in London and um, made some great connections and really got into the bones of the lesbian community in London at that time. We had some amazing bars and events running. So I was all in that, all, all over it, all over it. And, and that was fantastic for finding like-minded people and hearing other people's coming out stories. So yeah, it was it was a powerful time. It's interesting because I did a lot of navel gazing as well in my marriage. And I think my issue was I'd heard about bisexuality and being bisexual, but I and pansexual, but I'd never really, I don't know, thought of it as a solid thing. So for me, I was like, well, am I gay? Because I feel queer and I feel drawn to that but I do still like men. And so I kept coming in this circle of like, I'm gay, I'm not gay, I'm straight, I'm gay, I'm not. And and until eventually I, I accepted that maybe there was a world in which you can be a little bit of both, yeah. a little bit of all of it. I, I had a check. So when, when me and my girlfriend split up, I was like, hmm, do I, do I fancy men? What's going on here? So I had a, a great friend at the time. Well, we're still friends. And um, so we we had some sex. I was like, can, can I just test? <laughs> can I just try it out? So he and I had sex a few times. We had a threesome, um, various other things. And and I was like, okay, yeah, I'm gay. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, cool, fine, cool. Um, With, so, <laughs> your tester man. Yeah, my tester man. My tester man. Um yeah, I feel like a lot of people need a tester, man. He uh, and you're still friends, so that's nice. He obviously oh, didn't yeah. feel 
used in that way. He just enjoyed himself. No, he was enjoying himself. I think that was apparent, yeah. So after that first marriage, and you said you had a relationship with a woman who you were having an affair with, but that only lasted for a year. Then you got married again. So where were you? What had changed in your life up until that point? So then I um, had a long-term relationship we didn't get married we got engaged you couldn't there was no civil partnership in those in those days um or in the let alone gay marriage or marriage um so I had a long-term relationship with a woman that went really well until it didn't um and then I met my to-be wife and we got married at 45 well I was 45 when I when I married her um and divorced at 48 which is interesting so another three years of marriage (laughs) Well, it was civil partnership because we couldn't, you could, there wasn't marriage at that point. So we got civil partnership when I was 45. We'd been together for five, uh, seven years. So in all, we were together for 10 years on that one. So um, yeah, we were together for seven years and then we got married um, and then divorced. Um, and yeah, the world did look very different. It wasn't a shotgun wedding, but she was seven months pregnant with our daughter Hmm. Um, so it was all planned and it was actually really beautiful and magical. You know, both the wedding days and the marriages were beautiful until they weren't. They they were they, they were loves of my life. Both those individuals I would call loves of my life. Absolutely. And we, yeah, we we just we wanted a family. We were so aligned on everything we wanted um, in terms of relationship values. So it was it was a beautiful relationship and we drifted having a child does change things a lot and we also had some challenges when we were making our child and they hit us very hard um and we weren't able to get back to each other and it's a great sadness it's a it's a great sadness that we weren't able to resource ourselves and stay together now i don't know eight years later the co-parenting is fantastic we have a really really brilliant co-parenting arrangement and environment uh we live 10 minutes walk from each other my daughter's here half the time and half the time with her uh, with my ex-wife we get on really well we're still as aligned as we were in terms of our parenting we used some really great resources there were workshops you know the local council i live down in brighton on the coast and so we accessed some great workshops from the local council there are some great um resources free resources so we got the CAFCAS parenting plan which is brilliant for helping you answer questions you didn't know you needed to answer when you are separating and, and focusing on child child care and co-parenting so we were able to keep our most of the time it, there were massive challenges but most of the time we were able to keep our eyes on the prize in terms of this is now about us as co-parents can we focus on that and we've done it. And I'm really, really proud of me and us and her for having achieved that. And it was fucking hard. <laughs> <laughs> you said swearing was allowed. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, well done. <laughs> so why do you think you hit the three-year mark both times and that was it? I don't know. When I was doing the prep for this, I I was I, I knew that before, but obviously talking um on this podcast and you know with with being called the divorce social podcast as well, I was like, what is this three-year thing? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, people say to me, would you do it again? And and yes, absolutely, I would. Um celebrating love and getting lots of attention what's what's not to enjoy the two things that I enjoy you know one of I join many things but part of what I enjoy so I would definitely get married again definitely it would be it would look very different because the relationship escalator so those societal hit points that we are told makes a proper relationship so you have to have have children shared bank account move in together that's the first person you choose for your plus one. All of those things are out the window, mate. No, absolutely not. It is completely up to us to develop and design what we want with our relationship. So the marriage would look completely different because I'm non-monogamous, because I I have I'm not exclusively having sex with one person or romance with one person. That that's how that's how I am. So that side wouldn't be followed. But the love, the commitment, you know, uh, Bell Hooks in All About Love, what does she say love is? She says 
She says it's to do with somebody who lifts you up spiritually, someone who gets you and you get them. That's wow. Yeah. What's not to love about love? So I would definitely do it again. Um, that wasn't your question, though. What was your question? It was why do you oh, think why the you, three years? The three years. Don't know. I mean, I, I, I think um, I don't like time in terms of it being used as a marker. And this, this again goes back to this relationship escalator thing. You know, a successful relationship is a long-term relationship. Well, what the heck's long-term relationship? I've had weekends where I've just had a, a, an amazing sexual weekend with somebody, and that's been the most intimate, connected, loving thing. And it is comparable with, you know, six-year relationships. So when we look at time... I think sometimes we like to judge it and we don't have to, don't have to. I agree. I've had some brilliant times, like super, like maybe a month long relationship, but that felt as important as a 10 year one. Although, are you just trying to dodge the question about the three year point? Yeah, I, I don't think there's, I, not, I can't think of a reason why. Um, I guess, you know, if you look at the entirety of the relationships, when with my ex-husband, we were together for eight years with my ex-wife, we were together for 10 years. That to me is more interesting than the actual marriage bit. I think, you know, the the circumstances were so different. I mean, coming out as gay being reason number one and struggling to parent and have a relationship being reason two. Um, they're, they're, they're both so different. So I can't think of any sort of reason why why it's the three year? I'd like to be married for longer than three years. <laughs> Next time, yeah, um, yeah. Because I was so I was with my ex for eight years overall, but we were only married for a year and a half. And so people always ask me why it was only a year and a half. And I think for me, it was because my dad had died just before we got married. So I was doing a lot of work on myself and what happiness meant to me and what I wanted my life to look like and so for me I don't I can't speak for him but for me I think that escalated you know mm. I think we always would have broken up but maybe it would have lasted a little bit longer of the making the decisions that's interesting I mean both those both those the elements of the marriage and of course as a relationship coach now I'm you know really tuned into what works in a relationship and what doesn't work in a relationship the elements of both those relationships both those true loves were great and circumstance changed it so I although they had to end I they didn't necessarily um you know they could have continued under different conditions there wasn't anything there's nothing in me now that says there is no way compatibility that's the word I'm looking for we were compatible in both those relationships so it was the circumstances that that changed that's interesting because I think I wasn't compatible with my ex mm. long term I think we were very into each other and in love and all of those things but I don't think we were compatible at the end of the day mm. different interesting mm. <laughs> Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ding dong. 
it's the ad break. This podcast is sponsored by Penguin in the Room, an award-winning company that can manage your business's social media. They even manage our podcast, Instagram and Twitter. Just email info at penguinintheroom.com for a quote. Also, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can by buying merchandise from our website, www.thedivorcesocial.com. Ding dong. So so you had the two um, marriages and divorces. And then how did you get to this place of, I don't have to be monogamous. I don't have to be with one person forever. I can have different relationships with different people at the same time. Yeah, it's it's so I I mean I have been I was your classic serial monogamist. I had gone from one epic saga to another and between the age of when I had my first proper boyfriend at 19, I did start quite late through to pretty much well to, to getting divorced. Um I with with my second marriage, so 48, I hadn't been single for more than a couple of months. Sometimes there'd been an overlap. <laughs> um, so so that was a really interesting one to get to that point of realisation and, and knowing that, you know, there was some time needed to just recalibrate and, and be okay with being on my own. And so when I kind of, when I came out of the marriage, I was like, oh, right, I actually want to play the field for a bit. I actually want to be a bit of a tart. So I haven't really done that properly. And I kind of wanted to do it in between relationships. And then I'd meet someone. I'd be like, oh, no, I wanted to keep playing. But now I've met someone that I want to be with. And this this kept happening. Um, just lucky. And so I, I started playing the field and then started talking to people who were non-monogamous or exploring non-monogamy. And I was like, oh, hello, you. <laughs> so as is my want, I read all the books and listened to the podcast and got absorbed in it because that's what I do. And I was like, yeah, this I think this is going to fit me. Um, so I entered a relationship that was, they described that, um, two women who married to each other. They'd been married for quite some time. And they weren't non-monogamous, but they, would, they described their relationship as a jar rather than it's not closed, it's not open, it's a jar. And so I, I kind of skipped along merrily and came into their world and um, for four years was in different iterations over those four years. Started off as an affair, then it became, ah, oh, actually it's going to be non-monogamous. So being with one woman while she is with her wife and also has me as her girlfriend then uh, after a year or so, moving into me dating both of them independently and together. And then moving into splitting up with the second woman that I got together with, the, the, the wife, and just being with the original person. That was awkward. <laughs> that was hard because, of course, she's still married to her wife. And now she's consoling her wife, who was just split up with me, her girlfriend. Go figure. Really complex. But we sorted it out. We did it. Um, and like the other relationships, it worked until it didn't work. And then and then from that, I realised that actually being non-monogamous, um, I had a, a really lovely one-year relationship, which was an open relationship. So with one main person and then what I call dalliances with other people, sometimes together, sometimes separately. Really, really enjoyed that. And then moved into two relationships that were independent of each other, dating two women independently. Really, really enjoyed that. And in the last few years, I've come to this ever so modern term called solo polyamory, which really fits where I'm at. You know, I've had these long-term, beautiful relationships with people where I've lived with them, we've done the together forever, and then it hasn't worked in that way, and that's been okay, and I've survived. And so with solo polyamory, that is about putting yourself at the centre, putting yourself first and looking at being fully resourced for the people that you have intimacy with. And some of those uh, relationships could be for longer term than others. Some of them, you know, it could be any kind of combination. So um, it could be a longer term relationship or a one night stand or a one off, etc. And it, it really suits me. Solo polyamory really suits me because I can focus on giving not getting into overwhelm 
because that can happen in the non-monogamous world. You can find that everybody wants a piece of you and you become absolutely run ragged. And, and this helps me check in with where am I at? What resources have I got? It makes me more have more of a, a flat management structure in terms of who else is in my life. So I, I equally value my friendships. I mean, I think for a lot of us during lockdown, friendships became, certainly for me, my friendships blossomed into such depth um, and strength. So my friends are as important as my lovers are as important as my family. I've got a great connection with my with my family, with my mum and dad and brother and sister and and my daughter and, and my ex-wife. So that all of those people need some of me and they need me to be well and fine and healthy. And so I need to make sure that I'm especially as a holistic relationship coach. I've got to do it, babes. I've got to be that. <laughs> I've got to be that person. So I, it keeps me centered and grounded and where I need to be so that I can allocate me the resource of me in the way that works um and I just like sex I like that as a full stop moment um it sounds busy though is it busy it's actually not okay because it sounds like so many people want some of you and for me the anxiety in me because I I have anxiety I take medication for it is like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can cope with all those people. It's it's as many people as I want to invite. You know, I, I do a lot of um, work on boundaries. I do an awful lot of work. I mean, pretty much every conversation I have with clients, and I do workshops on boundaries as well, um, free workshops. You can access free workshops through my AH coaching community <laughs> uh, Facebook group. And so, you know, I, I am really good at setting boundaries and checking in with how resourced I am and making sure that, um, I'm not overpromising. So, and I've got good at that over the last few years. You have to get good at that. You really have to get really good at agreements and boundaries when you're non-monogamous. I think boundaries is such a huge subject, and I know we've we touched on it a lot with in the podcast, and it's something I really struggle with personally. What's a good approach? to boundaries if that's not too open a question what's a good approach a good approach to boundaries is expecting there will be a pushback because wouldn't you you know suddenly someone sets a boundary and they've never done that for the last five years of the relationship you're like what happened to the old person what are you doing so there's going to be a pushback so expecting a pushback uh, there's some brilliant work by Haley page mcgee around boundary guilt we feel a lot of guilt when we set a boundary and and I love her work in terms of how do we build up guilt resilience? How do we make sure that actually we are ready for those feelings that are going to say, you don't get to do that. You know, you're supposed to be seen and not heard. You're not supposed to state your needs. You're supposed to be quiet. Shut up. Listen, all these things that we grow up with that say, keep yourself small. And what we're saying is, actually, no, I'm going to tell you what my yeses are. I'm going to tell you what my no's are. Um, I think people struggle with conceptualizing what boundaries are and and I like to use the I like I love an analogy and I like to use the analogy of you are in your field you are in your field and you've got your fence around you and your fence is your boundaries and the person next to you they've got their boundaries they've got their fence so you're standing in your field and you are telling the other person what what is right for you in terms of them accessing your field because they are set by you they're not rules they're not punitive they're not controlling they are you saying, this is what I need. This is what I want. This is what I need. So being really, really, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you more than one, babes. What <laughs> um, More than one on how to set boundaries. Just you know, being really clear on what you want and what you need. And there has to be, you have to know and stick to what the consequences are. And I know this is a real struggle for some people because they're like, oh, it sounds like I'm, I'm saying something and, and I'm saying that, you know, there's, there's going to be any outcome and I'm going to punish you. It's not that. You are stating what you're going to do, not what they're going to do. If this is what I need, if this doesn't happen, this is what I'm going to do. Not this is what you're going to do. This is what I'm going to do. How you react to what I'm going to do is yours and not mine. That's that's where the magic happens when you can say, this is what I want. This is specifically what I want. These are going to be the consequences. You don't have to lead with the consequences. You just have to know that actually if that doesn't happen, this is what I have to do. You know, things like um, I talk a lot about blocking when people have to block exes, what that feels like and, and the whole 
view that it means you're a bad person and it's wrong and it's controlling and it's nasty. Actually, blocking is brilliant boundary setting. And it's also to keep you psychologically safe. So bring it on. I had to block my ex's mum. Oh, there we go. She was sending some messages when she had some Prosecco. Um, all of that was really, I love the field analogy. I'm going to, if I set a boundary next time, I'm going to imagine myself in my field. Is there an example of a boundary and a consequence that you could give, like just a general relationship one? Flirting is, is a good one. I do, I do flirting workshops as well. So flirting, if, if, um, say you're going to an event with your partner and if, um, and you might say to them, if you're going to flirt, so this would be a boundary. A, a, a rule would be don't flirt. Don't yeah. flirt. That's that's a rule. Um, and, a, uh, and I'll talk about agreements as well in a minute. A boundary would be if either of us is going to flirt at this at this party, um, can we make sure that we check in with each other afterwards? For me, that would look like you just coming over and giving my hand a little squeeze. If that doesn't happen, I'm not going to feel safe to stay at the party. I'm going to have to leave. That would be a boundary. So you're stating what what you want. You're doing it compassionately. You're saying how it's going to impact you. And you're saying what your action is going to be. And then actually sticking to that action. An agreement would be where both of you come up with what you need in that situation. So one of you might say, it's going to be fine. You know, we could actually probably get off on it a little bit. It's quite kinky when someone's flirting with you and you're flirting with someone else. That's great. I do know, however, that I might struggle a little bit so could you come over and just give my hand a squeeze and the other person might say absolutely what I need is for um for you to do xyz so you come up with this agreement this arrangement that works for the two of you so making sure that the boundary that you set is about your wants and your actions it could be a request as well sometimes boundaries and requests get sort of um confused and and that's okay requests can be like your first point of call you know this is what i need from you this is what i want from you i think that's a really good example thank you that's really useful i'm like cool what boundaries can i set today (laughs) (laughs) um and talking just going back to non-monogamy if anyone's listening and thinking oh that sounds quite fun but how do i know if it's right for me or how do I dabble, dip a toe into the non-monogamy world? What advice would you give? Yeah, get a coach. Hi, I'm here. <laughs> Obviously get a coach. Of course I'm going to say that, whether you're a couple or a, uh, an individual. Um, so get a coach. I do couples or individuals. Um, find a community because this is absolutely one of those areas where being in a community is going to support you enormously. So have a look on Facebook for local non-monogamy polyamory groups. Uh, start following people on social media, get those hashtags going, look at their contents, read the books. Uh, I have, I can give people a book list. Um, I I only recommend books I've read. I'm a a massive reader. One one book a week at least is is my want. Uh, So I have a huge resources list that people can have access to around that and recommendations. I do a weekly, what's Ali reading on my Instagram, which is Ali Ali Hendry Coaching. Um, So read the books, listen to the podcasts. If you're in a couple and you're thinking about doing it, then I would suggest that you go on the journey together there's always going to be one person and I can give you advice and guidance on how to have that initial conversation because there's always going to be one who brings it up first, potentially doing things together. Right. This is a shared journey. So one of you reads the book and, mar- and puts markings in it, passes it on to the other person and they look at the markings and add their own markings so that you can have a conversation over a shared resource. Listen to a podcast together. Um, Multi-Amory is a great podcast. So listen to some of those episodes together and then add on an extra half hour to go for a walk together and discuss what came up for you while you were listening to that episode. So make this a shared journey, find community, talk to people and over talk as well and take breaks <laughs> over talk, but make sure that you take breaks. Don't, don't kind of go at it for three hours, you know, make sure you have snacks and hydrate in between go into different rooms, stretch, etc. while you're having these conversations, because your central nervous system is going to be in going through the roof going, what is what? And whether you want it or not, whether you're playing catch up with your partner or not, you are both in new territory. So honour that 
and give your body what it is asking for. Tune into your body um, and take your time. There is no rush. There are always going to be people out there for you. Um, I love the imagery of this person. And this is what I talk when I'm uh, I've got quite a few people at the moment who are dating and they've come to me for advice and guidance and help on, on dating and mindset stuff. And this image that your person is moving towards you right now as you are moving towards them. All we can do is look at what do we want that to look like? We don't know when that's divine timing. It's not in a, it's not in our remit. What we can do is focus on what do I want it to look like? How can I create that environment that invites in what I'm looking for? So to answer your question, take your time, do it together. If you're a solo person, great, just as valuable. You know, still read the books, the podcasts, find the communities. Going into a, a group, a Facebook group, and seeing what people are talking about and the challenges that they're sharing. Uh, there are, there's a really great solo polyamorous group as well that you can go into and have a look around. Just sit in it and have a look around. See what comes up. Like a jacuzzi. Sit yeah, in a jacuzzi have a look around. of sex and love. <laughs> Enjoy the bubbles. Um, oh, yeah. And what would you say to people who, you know, might think, can polyamory be for straight people too? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, 100%. Definitely. And it's an interesting question to ask yourself, why am I exploring this? Because it may be that for some people, they are exploring it because they want to explore their own sexuality and sexual orientation or sexual practices. If you get clear on the why, why now? Uh, what do I want it to look like and why? So do I want a polyamorous relationship? Do I want to be in love with more than one person and we could all live together or not live together? Do I want an open relationship? Do I want one main person and then we, you know, we go to sex parties or we independently have one-off sex or, you know, maybe there's a rule of three and we have sex with, do I want swinging? So am I going to play with my partner? Am I going to go to a set uh, event or party that is to do with swinging? Um, swingers is a really interesting one, actually, where I think it's quite rule bound. So a lot of swingers, they call them, they they may not even call themselves non-monogamous. Some people who are swingers, they say they're not, or they're monogamish. It's a great word that Dan Savage came up with. Um, or they're not monogamous, they are monogamous, but they go to these events. And so they see that as a kind of identity within itself. So you get to decide this. And if you can work out what you want it to look like and why, brilliant, you're halfway there. Yeah. And again, take your time. I love that. Um, also with the, you know, talking about being in relationships and being in love with more than one person. And obviously you've also been in love with one person at a time and been married to them. What's the emotional feeling that's going on? How would you describe the difference between being in love with one person and being in love with a number of people that you live with a kind of in a long term? I'm thinking of the the married couple that you moved in with and were dating both of them. I feel now love is expansive and that's that's new. Uh, it's endless, it's expansive and and I've got that feeling through being non-monogamous, having this love style and realising that it's it's not just romantic partners, it's friendships, it's family, you know, it, it's all within that. So I've certainly had this enlightenment around love is expansive. Resource isn't, time isn't. So like you said earlier, you know, it sounds to you, you were saying it sounds overwhelming to go into polyamory and non-monogamy. Uh, non-monogamy, by the way, is the umbrella term. So polyamory is one of the types underneath it. Um, so yes, absolutely. You do need to be mindful of your time and your resources. Um, you you can get exhausted. You can get polysaturated you know, when you've got too many partners and there's everyone wants a piece of you. You can feel that when you're, non, when you're monogamous. <laughs> you can feel that because of work-life balance. Absolutely. So you know what that feels like. So when you go into, instead of sleepwalking your way which I know I did I'm absolutely guilty of sleepwalking my way into monogamy it wasn't a choice it was it was just I just did it it wasn't a conscious choice at all and so having that conscious level um and some people you know um my ex-girlfriend went back into monogamy so she came out and we were all having a gay old non-monogamous time and then she went went back into it so just because you're out doesn't mean you need to stay out you can go where you want to go with it 
So in terms of the differences, I'm enjoying the sense of expansiveness. And I think if I was, I can't imagine going back to monogamy. I just can't imagine it. If I had to, if you were forcing me to. I won't, but for this. I would like to hold on to this sense of expansiveness that I know comes from being non-monogamous. I'd like to hold on to that, you know, that love touches all. And what's your favourite thing about being non-monogamous? Sex. Sure. Great. Yeah. You can have you can have sexual variety. Um, safe sex, consensual sex, boundaried sex, um, you know, uh very getting very, very clear and comfortable with making sure that you are asking for your needs, that you are not crossing any lines, that you are practicing safe sex. Absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, I have to say from the sex side of things, it sounds wonderful. <laughs> Yeah. And it's and it's also different types of connections. I mean, I, I would describe myself as sapiosexual. So I am really turned on by people's intelligence, their minds, the way that they work. You know, my first degree was psychology. So I am fascinated by humans and the human condition. And so I love that I get to have different types of int- intimacy with different people. Now, of course, you can have that from friendships and colleagues and family. Absolutely. But to have the possibility of it turning into uh, something sexual or intimate on a different level as well is really exciting for me. So, yeah, being able to enjoy different types of connections feels expansive. I talk on the podcast about my sexual explosion, which I had after my divorce, where I just went wild for a little period of time. And um, I think if if anyone's interested in a sexual explosion, then maybe they should dip a toe yeah. into. It, it does sound like I'm I'm rampant and all over the place, and <laughs> I'm not. I mean, I do like going to sex clubs, absolutely. I you know I do like variety, but I am very much centered around making sure my well-being practices are in place, making sure that my connections are right for all involved. So sex, I know I mentioned sex a few times. It's, it is only one part of me. Um, I'm really, you know, connecting with people on different levels and in different ways lights me. I mean, that's why I'm a relationship coach, right? I love finding out about people and working out um, how they can help themselves. That's the essence of coaching. I will walk alongside you. You will have this intentional time with you. You will have the opportunity to see you from the outside in and work on your direction consciously. Those things that have been in the background and always been there and you kind of think, oh, if only I could do that. You bloody can. You can do that. You know, I, I wouldn't have done a TED talk. My TED talk that I did last year, Survivor's Guide to Jealousy, that was something I discussed with my then coach four years previously, that idea was floated and it manifested itself because of a coaching conversation. Um, my coach said to me, I was having conversations about career changes, et cetera. And she said, it sounds to me like you want to be in, in a situation where you can w- reach a wide audience. And I went, yeah. And she said, like a TED talk. And I was like, yes, I always knew I wanted to do a TED talk. And you've just told me what I already knew. And yet now it's conscious and I can plan it. And it, it happened. So it's just wonderful being around people at that where I can help them help themselves. Yeah, it's amazing. It's powerful. So how did you decide to become a coach? Was it always something you said you studied psychology? It was always something you were interested in or was it after the divorces? It came about during lockdown. So I was at that time, I was about for the last 18, 19 years, I was a corporate trainer. That was my main bread and butter, diversity and inclusion trainer, traveling up and down the country and stayed in a lot of hotels. I did a lot of traveling, working with loads of different types of organizations, public, private, voluntary, military sector. What made it a bit different is it was theater. So one of my other backgrounds is is theatre and performance. Um, so I was writing scripts. I was training up actors to represent people within the organisations we were going into. I was developing courses. Absolutely loved it. And then lockdown happened, and for uh, it took the organisation I was mainly freelancing for. It took them six months to get stuff on Zoom. I know now it's like Zoom all over the place, but back then I can't believe we're saying back then because it wasn't that long ago. Um, I was unemployed, absolutely unemployed. And so I was looking at what I could do. And what came up was this career coach that I'd had and the experience that I'd had with her. And so I talked to her about her training and how she got involved. And she said, it's not regulated. 
it however there are some bodies for example international coaching federation so have a look at them and so i went on this forensic search and looked up um a range of there are so many providers and basically found radiant coaches academy where i now teach so i i teach uh, holistic coaching to students there as well uh, and i also do a podcast for them so it's it came about through that and realizing that i could blend my love of training with helping people and empowering people to help themselves um so yeah it was it was through not having a job <laughs> i found coaching <laughs> the best things always happen that way yeah and you call yourself a holistic relationship coach what does that mean with a holistic mindset you know we are mind body and spirituality or soul we are those three areas they are part of us and i believe that we are fully formed and we have everything we need we have ab- absolutely everything we need and we are exactly where we need to be right now so with my coaching it is about that acceptance of now where you are at and then drawing you into the future. You know, traditionally coaching, it's only been around since the 80s and, of course, came from the sports world where people would have their, their sports coach that would push them to the edge of their abilities and take them into an area that the coach could see but the client couldn't see. And, of course, then businesses went, oh, hello, we could use this. Maybe this will help us improve our businesses. And then, and then in the last 10, 15 years, the wellness industry has gone through the roof with coaching, of course. So to have that opportunity to help someone grow their potential by sitting alongside them. And because I'm very much involved in education and mentoring as well, so talking about my own experiences to help others, that can be part of my coaching environment. Pure coaching is you tell me what's going on, I feed it back to you, and you find your way forward through my intuitive questioning. So I'm making your unconscious conscious. I'm showing you the patterns and and the areas and the habits that you're doing and that you want to change. And then I'm asking you powerful questions that help you move into your future self. And then we make those plans. And I'm your accountability buddy if you want me to be your accountability buddy. And we make those changes. Um, so the, the holistic means that I we can talk on the level that works for the client. So some of my clients will want to go into the spirituality connection with higher self. You know, I use an oracle card, might pull a card for them at the end of the session. Others want to focus on the mindset stuff, um, doing exercises, doing some drawing, writing, etc., journaling prompts. And others want to focus on the somatic work. So experiencing it in your body, tuning into their body. I have quite a lot of um, clients that want to be more connected with their mind and their bodies. And so we explore that through, again, through questioning um, around where they're at and where they want to get to. So the holistic is recognising that we are all these beautiful parts in one whole. And I mean, we were talking about sex before. Do you think sex can be like a powerful spiritual experience? Yes. Um, I think that when there's it's interesting, there's been some recent studies around the impact of mindfulness on sex and how those of us who are having powerful experiences sexually have got mindfulness practices going alongside already. And it makes so much sense because what is mindfulness? It is intentional time with self. It is knowing yourself. It's being able to tune into what your body needs and wants. It's being aligned with you know your, your thoughts and your feelings and your actions and your heart space and your soul. And so when you are in an intimate situation, if you know where you're at and you can communicate where you're at, as we know, the best sex is from communication, right? So if you've already got this mindful, I can be present, I can be in this moment, I can be here, I can recognize when I'm not being present enough, I can recognize, I can read, there's been a shift in you, there's a change in energy, I can have a conversation with you about that change. That's phenomenal sex right there. And that comes from that mindfulness. I read something recently about when you're having sex, when you get to the point of orgasm, you can use that energy to try and manifest something. So like oh. ask for something. So I've got um 
a new book coming out. So the other day I was having a nice time by myself. And so I asked for my book to sell a million copies during my orgasm. So let's see if it works. Oh, wow. You heard it here first. I love that idea. Do you know what? I I absolutely, I can really see where, where that is because sometimes I have orgasms that feel like portals and I've been with partners where it's felt like it's a portal into something else. There are so many, so many different ways you can orgasm people, so many different ways. And there's there's infinite, infinite number of, of um, types of orgasms. And I think certainly I, you know, I've been w- with women um, and vagina owners. Sometimes we, I feel like, and I can only speak for me, I feel like I can get more of a range that um that may be just because I haven't slept with a man for a very long time and men let me know if it's different for you most of my clients are LGBTQIA plus women and non-binary humans and it certainly feels like we can do a lot with it so let's play with that stuff and if it feels like a portal into selling a million copies bring it on (laughs) bring it on by the way in case anyone's imagining me doing that I did it in my head I didn't just shout out like (laughs) sell a million copies my neighbors would be like what are you doing I said it strongly in my head just for you know everyone trying to picture it um so looking back at you know becoming a coach two divorces, moving into non-monogamous relationships. What do you think you learnt from the divorce processes? I learnt that change needs a ritual. I, do, I talk a lot about rituals and routines. And we, we with divorce, divorce itself, of course, has got ritualised elements to it. The papers, uh, the changes, the coming off the mortgage or, or the rental agreement, all of those things are so valuable to help with your change. There are also some other changes that you can create. Um, there, are, Sorry, there are also some other rituals that you can create to facilitate that journey of grief and acceptance, um, getting back to you, working out what you want now. Things like burning, you know, letters. Um, I love, I did a beautiful ritual a couple of years ago maybe it was a year ago, which was around writing a letter from an ex. I, I wanted to do some more more healing, heartbreak healing. I do a, a, a program, heartbreak healing program that I offer. And I did this piece of work where I wrote a letter from her to me. So as if she'd written this letter to me that I would never receive from her and I needed to receive so I so I got this letter from her and I wrote it as if it was from her to me. I also wrote out some resentments that I had towards her on little bits of paper. And I had them sitting in a little box in my front room for ages and ages. And I kept thinking about them, thinking, oh, when am I going to do this? And then I was thinking, it needs to be the right time. I really want to curate this. Um, yeah, 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 whatever, whatever. Just it would happen when it happens. And then one day I was listening to a song and I was like, oh, this is the song. This is the burning song. <laughs> so I went outside there and then got the bits of paper, lit lit my safe fire with a ba- with some water nearby. You have to have a bucket of water, people. Um, so put it in my in my grill outside and I burnt them. And it was beautiful and it was right. And I felt the change and the process. I could feel me processing heartbreak. It was amazing. So what have I learned? Prioritize your rituals. Look at what's what you have to do that's, you know, required of you in terms of the divorces. And also look around at what other rituals you can bring in. You know, I remember a client and what she wanted to do is she she had a little box of things from her ex. And she went on this journey and she put all the things in this box and she went on this really long train journey to the place where they first met. And she just sat with this box and went to this environment. And that was part of her healing process. And, you know, that came out of our conversations in in the coaching environment. And so value that stuff because you need help with moving. You need help with moving. And I mean, spiritual, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, physically, you need that mindset stuff. You need that help. And that has to be through some rituals and routines. Great advice. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us. Please, can you remind us where we can find out more about you and your coaching? 
Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram. That's where I am most active. And that is Ali Hendry Coaching. Uh, and you can find my link tree there, which has got all my current offerings. Um, I do special offers once a month, half price coaching, etc. those sorts of things. You can also find me on my website, which is alihendry.co.uk. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Oh, hi. Thank you for listening to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines. Please leave us a review. Please, please. Um, it would be super nice. They're lovely to read. They keep me cheery and happy and keep me going. Uh, but also it affects our listing in the podcast charts, uh, which are very important because that's how more people find the podcast. And I'd love to help more people get through those really tough heartbreak and divorce times. And they're more likely to find us if we're higher up on the charts. So if you'd like to leave a review, I'd love you forever. You can leave them on iTunes is the big one or most podcast platforms do them as well. I'll take all the reviews you've got to give. You can also uh, get in contact on Twitter and Instagram at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. We have a website, thedivorcesocial.com and we have a Patreon account, which means that you can support the podcast for as little as £2 a month and it helps me with all the admin costs. It also means you have access to our 90 style divorce and heartbreak chat room and there's lots of exclusives on there, little bits of audio that you don't get in the main podcast and some giveaways as well. So I'd love to see you over on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Samantha Baines and please leave a review. Did I say that already? Please leave a review. Love you forever.